Let's uh, take our seats as we prepare to jump back into our summer sermon series in the Psalms. And every week I feel like the room just gets a little bit fancier. <laughs> From our faux plants, of whatever variety they are, to the wedding garb and everything else, it just keeps getting fancier and fancier. But I don't get fancier. I, I stay the same yesterday, today, and forever. But my name is Jeff Schleter. For those, those who don't know me, that's not in the script. Um, it's my joy to be a member of the pastoral team here um, and to continue with you in our summer series in the book of Psalms, a series in which we're learning that the rhythms of the Psalms, they match the rhythms of our souls. The rhythms of our souls as we live our lives in orientation to God, meaning as we live properly before God. But then the experience of disorientation as through our own sin or through the life we live in this fallen world, we're moved away from God and we turn away from God. And then the experience of reorientation as God brings us back to himself through his word and for his glory. And we've been in the Psalms now, this is our fifth week, and we've been seeing that the Psalms are, as John Calvin says, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. And for those who are going, what, what does that mean? <laughs> it means that the Psalms, they offer the readers of the Psalms words for expressing the full range of our human emotions, of our human experience. And so this is our fifth week, and up to this point we've covered Psalm 1, 19, 46, and 39. This week we're going to be in Psalm chapter 55. And so please open up your Bibles to Psalm 55, and we'll cover the entire chapter this morning as we read the text before us. And that is... Salmo, capítulo 50 y 5, versículo 1 a 23. And if you're not familiar with the Bible this morning, know that this is a safe place to learn how to read the Bible. We're all learning each and every week. Um, and if, even if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's all right. Just open up your phone's browser to Psalm chapter 55, beginning in verse 1. We're going to be reading from the ESV this morning. And so I'm going to read the psalm in full, and then we're going to pray briefly. For help. Um, and as we read the psalm, and as we consider now the particular disorientation that David the psalmist is experiencing, that God's re reorienting word is speaking to, um, read this text and hear this text with this kind of question in mind. Um, in life, there's the kind of disorientation that we do expect. But then on the other hand, there's also the kind of disorientation that we do not expect. And so as we read this text, uh, let that be a lens and a filter for which you're uh, viewing David's disorientation. And so with that, beginning in verse 1, Psalm chapter 55, David writes, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it, and run 
and ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. Four, it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was as smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction." Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Would you join me in a word of prayer, asking God's spirit to help us apply God's words? Oh Lord, this morning, I pray that you would help us in the midst of, Lord, whatever distractions um, may be coming into play, whatever things may be crowding out our minds and hearts, Lord, to have our hearts, Lord, opened up to you and to your word. Lord, would you, even now, as we're hearing the word proclaimed, retune our hearts. Lord, renew our minds to see you and to regard you and to love you better, Lord, more fully, more freely. Lord, I hope and I ask that you would help our hearts to resonate with David's, Lord, where it's appropriate, so that we would see how you can speak to our own disorientation, Lord, to the bitter anguished feelings that we can experience here ourselves. So Father, I pray that you would help us, that you would meet us, that you would fill me with your spirit to serve my friends. And Lord, I pray that you would fill all of us with your spirit to enjoy the fellowship and the friendship that you provide. Lord, bless this time and be glorified as your word goes forth. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So as I mentioned, there's the kind of disorientation that we do expect and the other kind that we don't expect. Um, An example of this, I know that getting into my car every day, um, that I should expect the disorientation of my AC not working very well, (laughs) right? I, I, I know that's what it does. This is what my AC does. It doesn't work well. It blows the same hot air at me, and it never brings much relief. Now, I, I, I know that. It doesn't make it any easier, but at least I'm prepared to deal with that each and every time I get into the car. But what I don't expect when I get into my car is the disorientation of spider webs coming out of my AC vent, attaching to the back of my seat, and little bugs crawling around me as I look to my right. (laughs) I do not expect, that's a true story, that happened last week. I do not expect to find spider webs in my AC. I expect them not to work, but I don't expect them to be filled with spiders. (laughs) 
That takes me by surprise. It's another layer of disorientation that's a little bit harder to deal with because I don't have a context to be pre prepared for it. <laughs> now, in Psalm 55, David experiences both the AC going out, uh, the disorientation he does not, or he does expect, and the spiders, <laughs> the disorientation he doesn't expect. And it's the latter kind that we're going to focus on this morning. This song, this psalm that we just read, it, it contains within it uh, the kind of disorientation that not only would you never expect, but the kind that you wouldn't even want to consider. The kind that you wouldn't want to entertain the thought of coming your way. And so, in verses 1 through 11, we see that David is already treading the waters of disorientation, right? Life is hard. He is the king, and as the king, you got to deal with some challenges, right, in the city. Enemies are rising up against him. He's already in anguish. He's crying out to God because the terrors of death have fallen upon him. Fear and trembling are real realities that he faces. He wishes he prays, oh Lord, if I could just escape this, if I could have wings and fly away from my problems. <laughs> and so not diminishing what David's already experiencing in verses 1 through 11, but ultimately, it's the kind of thing that, you know, you might expect. You're the king, and evildoers do what evildoers do. They go around the city in verse 10 and 11, day and night. Iniquity is accompanying them in their trouble that they're raising. There's oppression and fraud, and they're always causing problems. And so on one hand, David is lamenting to God because of the difficult situation that he's in, the anguish he's experiencing. He's complaining bitterly. But it's not the sort of thing you wouldn't expect. The waves of disorientation are present in his life, and the time is rough. But it's still the sort of thing you would expect out on the sea. But this still is not the depth of his disorientation in this psalm. That comes in verses 12 through 15. And in these verses, we learn that the depth of his disorientation is not that his enemies do what enemies do. It's not just that enemies are causing him to feel faint and fearful. Not just that enemies are dropping trouble upon him, that they're bearing a grudge against him, that they're slandering him, that they are oppressing and attacking and coming at him. It's not just that enemies do what enemies do. The depth of his disorientation is that for David, his friends do what enemies do. Let me say that again. David's enemies, according to verses 12 through 15, they used to be his friends. It's not an enemy who taunts me. Then, he says, I could bear it. I expect enemies to do what enemies do. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me then I could hide from him. But instead, the depth of David's orientation is that it is you, a man, my equal, my companion and familiar friend. This is the one who's turned against him. He could bear the attacks of an enemy. You know, imagine if you're, you know, watching one of those old school movies and you have the knights in armor and they're kind of running toward each other. If that's the scenario you're in, right, you have your shield and your armor and you're ready to fight. And the attack's going to be what it's going to be, but you're ready to bear it. But bearing the attack from an enemy head-on is different still than the stab in the back from a friend. That you're not guarding for. Your guard is down, you've let this person in, and then they've turned upon you. 
Enemies can attack you, but only friends can betray you. And this is the depth of disorientation in Psalm 55. And church, this is the kind of disorientation that we don't expect. We don't expect our friends to turn on us because we count on them, right? We don't want to spend our time, our free time, worrying that our friends might betray us. We don't want to entertain those kinds of thoughts that the people we count upon and trust in would be those who would turn against us. We let these kind of people in, our friends, into our lives with the confidence that we can do so safely, that we can be vulnerable with them, and we don't want to think about our friendships being fractured or lost or damaged or or turning against us. And so in this, this psalm that's before us today, it's a song of lamentation, even as we read about a psalm of lament last week, that laments the disorientation of relational strife, of betrayal and fractured friendships. And what makes this so painful, if it's already not painful enough (laughs) as we think about this theme, what makes this so painful is that far from expecting our friendships to be the cause of disorientation, the Bible actually tells us that friends are God's means of orienting grace in our lives. Listen to what the Proverbs say about friends and friendships. The Proverbs say, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, and that a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's good, church, to have friends. Friends are good. They're God's means of grace to us. They're pillars, right, and support beams of orientation that God places in our lives so that when things get hectic, we're held up. When things start to get shaky, they're there with us and for us. God gives us friends to keep us oriented to himself. Friends are a blessing to us. In your own life, just consider, even now as you're you're thinking about this, how having a friend uh, in in times of your disorientation has made all the difference, right? Because the Bible, far from saying that friends, uh, we should expect them to disorient us, it actually says the opposite, right? Friends are made, they're given to us for the day of our disorientation. So think about your days of disorientation. How has having a friend at your side been a help to you? In those times when you say, I don't know what I would have done if they weren't there. But thank God that they were because that made all the difference to me. When my roof leaked and Christopher and Omar came and we built a ladder out of three non-ladder objects to get up to the top and fix it. Or those times when you just call up your friend, you get on the phone and you cry out to them. And you say, I'm in trouble. I need help. And they say, say no more. I'm there. No explanation, no other words given. I'm there with you and for you. God gives us friends to keep us oriented. He gives us friends so that we have shoulders to lean on and to cry on and so that we have those to share in our celebrations. He gives us friends so that we can let a certain select few people into the full range of our emotional experience who we are vulnerable with, who we show and display the full anatomy of our souls to. And so, considering this, right, it would be difficult to imagine adversity without a friend. But that's not where Psalm 55 stops. It's not just adversity without a a friend. Psalm 55 is adversity because of a friend. Friends are made 
for your day of disorientation. But in Psalm 55, that friend is the very cause of David's disorientation. So let's ask the question, church. (laughs) If friends are made for our day of disorientation, then just how disorienting is the fracturing of a friendship? How destabilizing is it to have this kind of experience that David is writing about here in Psalm 55, of betrayal, of broken trust, of confidence shattered? How disorienting is this? That someone who we trusted and let into our life, that we counted upon like the sun rising or clockwork doing what it does, or like a load-bearing pillar in an ancient Greek temple, How disorienting is it for that person to turn against us, for our relationship with them to be set at odds? You know, imagine if you could, if at the end of the Lord of the Rings, for our Lord of the Rings fans here, (laughs) if after going through all that they did, Sam and Frodo get to the top of the mountain, and at the very end, Sam pushes Frodo off the ledge (laughs) into the fire and takes the ring for himself. Hard to believe, hard to imagine. Or for my Shakespeare fans in here, I know that if you're not Lord of the Rings, you're probably Shakespeare, right? Think of Julius Caesar, the play by Shakespeare. The emperor, he expected to have enemies, um, but he didn't expect in the conclusion of that play to be on the other end of the blade of his friend. As he looked out at his attackers, as Caesar has been stabbed to death, as a conspiracy has formed against him, and he's been taken out, just as he's become the first emperor of Rome, What are his last words as he looks out on the crowd of attackers? He looked up upon his friend, and his last words that he uttered were, et tu, Brute? And for those who don't speak Latin, (laughs) he said, even you, Brutus? I can understand that everyone else would turn against me, but even you have turned away. Even you have abandoned me. And now, far from Shakespeare or Lord of the Rings, What does this look like in our lives? What does this experience resonate with? How can we grab on to David's experience here and have God's word speak to this this disorientation? And a couple examples for us to help give us some handles to grasp this kind of pain, this kind of disorientation. Some of you, you you might have had a friend who's turned away from the faith, right? They no longer follow Christ. They no longer believe the gospel. And because of that, they've turned away from you. Has anyone had that experience? That like David, someone you once worshipped the Lord with now rejects you and everything you believe. And this could happen with a former believer or an unbeliever in your life that you're close to, maybe, right? That um, you've been now, by this person, more or less, to use the term these days, canceled because of what you believe and what you stand for. This person has turned away from you. They say evil and terrible things about you and they'll have no hearing with you in their life because of what you believe, because you worship the Lord. You could have been canceled by a former friend. Or maybe some of us, we've been even within the church, and we've lost a friend in the process of transitioning churches. Maybe even over a point of doctrine that's secondary, we've been divided from the unity of the fellowship of Christ because you and your friend had a different viewpoint, and you went away. And where there should have been unity, there's now been strife. And there's a relationship that has been fractured. This kind of hurt could also come from abuse, even, or abandonment. Enemies can attack us 
but only close friends and other trusted people in our lives can hurt us and betray us in deep and painful and lingering sorts of ways. And these are terrible things when friends and the close people that we trust act abusively toward us. When maybe a parent, a mother or a father, a spouse, when these kinds of people can abandon us and they can leave wounds and pain. This is real lamentable pain. And this is the kind of pain that David is experiencing in his heart. The kind of pain when we consider spouses, the kind of people that we trust our very lives and selves to, even then can betray one another, can commit the sin of adultery, can give into affairs, can move away from their vows and pledges and promises. The kind of actions that leave the party on the receiving end deeply disoriented. And so the point... The point this morning is that we've all lost friendships. (laughs) They come and go in life. Sometimes they come and go because it's just the season of life we're in, but other times they come and go because of some drama, some falling out, some conflict. And a lot of times those things can come unexpectedly. But when they come, they can feel like the roof of our lives are caving in because that pillar of friendship has been pulled away. And so... While this fracture of friendship, it can leave us angry, it can leave us hurt, it can leave us just going, what the heck is happening? Life as I know it today is different than it was yesterday. There is a turn of hope this morning. And the hope is that this morning, this psalm of a friend's failure and a friend's betrayal, it points us to a friend who is unfailing. As the Proverbs say, right, as we read, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother But, as the fallen world teaches, even close friends can fail us. And so Psalm 55, it speaks a reorienting word into the disorientation of that kind of relational strife, of that kind of betrayal, of those kind of fractured friendships by telling us this, trust in the unfailing friendship of God. God, church, is an unfailing friend. If there is a friend, who sticks closer than a brother. God sticks closer than any friend. That's the point this morning. That's the simple reality we lay hold to in Psalm 55, that there is no friend greater than God. And this morning we'll see three expressions of his sticking close to us in the rest of our time together. And so you can turn to and you can trust in the friendship of God because, number one, he hears you out. Number two, he holds you up. And number three, he has your back. Very simple points this morning. God does the kinds of things that friends do, but he does them perfectly. He does them unfailingly. He does them with goodness, with love, oh, and all the power of God. And so I'll repeat those points as we go, but beginning with point number one, we see that God is an unfailing friend, and we can trust in him in our times of fractured friendships, betrayal, and broken trust, because he hears you out. And that might sound very simplistic, (laughs) but when you're in the midst of trouble, how important is it? How helpful is it? How much of a difference does it make to have someone who's there to listen? Church, God hears you out. Like a friend, God's ear is open to you, to listen to you. But unlike any other friend, God's ear is always open. And he is always able to listen. So Psalm 55 and verses 
16 through 17, and then in verse 19, that's what we'll look at in this point here. Psalm 55, it shows us that David believes this, that God hears him. And, and more than that, not only does he believe that God hears him, the way he speaks in the Psalms, he needs this to be true. David needs God to listen. He needs God to hear. And now the backdrop of this psalm, though it's debated by scholars, it's likely that David's either recalling an experience in which King Saul, the king who went before him, whom David loved and served and lived in the same household with, it's either that King Saul has turned to betray him and sought after his life, as he did, or, probably worse, that his son, Absalom, has turned and betrayed him. In the book of Kings, Absalom, David's son, he deceives his father. He plots against him and he stages a coup to try to take the throne. <laughs> Either way, the point being that the backdrop of David's betrayal and his experience is that right now he's feeling raw with anger and with betrayal because someone he's loved, someone he's labored alongside, someone he's worshipped God together with has turned against him. His former listening ear, that friend he had before, is now an enemy who's lying in wait. And in this moment, not only does he believe that God will hear him as he pours out his heart, but he needs God to hear him out. He's even said, as we already read, that his heart is in anguish before him, within him. The terrors of death have fallen upon him. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. This is his heart. And reflecting on the state of David's soul, Charles Spurgeon says, if his God does not hear, he feels that all is over with him. He begs for his God to be a listener and an answerer. And beg, David does. Even as we read earlier, throughout this psalm, we see, to summarize it, David praying to God. We see David pleading to God for mercy calling out to God, uttering a complaint to God, casting his burden upon God and placing his trust in God. David, he turns to God as the friend um, with whom he used to take, verse 14, sweet counsel is gone. The one he used to share his heart with has turned against him. The listening ear that was once available to him not only doesn't care about his complaints, but is actually the cause of his complaints. But God is there. Look at verses 17 through 19. Looking at verse 17. No matter when David calls out, verse 17, evening and morning and at noon, he has the confidence, as he writes in the psalm, that he hears my voice. No matter when, all the day long, he hears my voice. The almighty ruler of the universe, verse 19, who is enthroned from of old. To him, uh, or from him, David will receive his ear, verse 19. That one who is enthroned from of old will give ear to him, to David, and will listen to his every cry and complaint and moan. This God, church, the God who is from of old, who is enthroned, he will hear David. And he'll hear David evening, morning, and noon, whenever he should call with whatever he should say. And now, there are times in life when even the best of friends can't take your call. <laughs> when you call and you just, they don't answer, you don't answer, and it's just 
you know, they're not available right now. Their heart goes out to you, but they just can't be there all the time. But more than that, Psalm 55 takes it further. It's not just in those moments that your best friend won't answer your call, but there's also times when your closest confidant, your best friend, your spouse, your mom, your dad, not only can't answer you, but is at odds with you, is striving with you, is angry towards you. And even in those moments, God is there. He's always available for you to pour your heart out to. And the point here is that we, church, have the ability to send up our call of distress to the God who reigns forever. To the God who never sleeps. <laughs> to the God who never tires. To the God who is at every moment working all things together for your good. As he providentially and powerfully upholds and sustains the entire universe. This God hears you when you need to be heard. Your times, church, of disorientation, they need to be times of prayer. Learn from the Psalms here and see that prayer is a vital means of God's reorienting grace in our lives. It's a means of grace he extends to us as the friend who is always there to hear us. And now, prayer doesn't instantly or immediately remove the disorientation that we're experiencing, but it does change the way we experience that disorientation. When you call your friend, and I've had these calls, you probably had them too, and you're sitting in the front seat of your car, and you pull off the road and say, you know, you send a text, hey, can you just talk to me? And that person answers and say, what's up, man? And immediately, I've been there, you just begin to cry. You just begin to weep. You begin to say, oh, man and just pour your guts out. You guys had those calls? You had those times? That doesn't change your problem. Your problem hasn't gone away. But in that moment, you know you're not shouldering the burden alone. You can share it. You can express it. And you can pour out your heart. And the good news of the gospel is that in our relationship with God, we have a friend who's never failing, a friend who's always there, a God who will always listen. We're never alone in any burden. We're never without anyone to hear us or to speak to or to talk to in the midst of any disorientation. So pray to God. Turn to him in prayer. David's enemies, he says in verse 10, were working day and night <laughs> to conspire against him. And so David says, well, then I'll call out to God morning, noon, and night. Because if they're working and disorientation's out there and happening, I need God all the time. But God is there all the time. He is an unfailing friend. God hears you. He is an unfailing friend who is a perfect listener. But even as Spurgeon said, our hope is not only that he's a listener, but also that he is an answerer. And this brings us to point number two. Trust in the unfailing friendship of God because he holds you up. Verses 20 through 22, it explains that like a friend does, God will support and sustain and hold you together when friendships and relationships are falling apart. And in verses 20 through 21, we're brought further into that bitterness, into that breach of friendship that David, that he experienced. Look with me at verses 20 through 21. David says, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was as smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. In these verses here, they're a description of trust 
that's been broken. A covenant agreement has been violated. A promise made is now no more. For really, for a good example for us, think about marriage vows here. That's a good example. You know, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, till death do us part. A covenant has been made. A formal agreement between David and his friend has been arranged that has now been violated, that has now been set aside. Um, this is painful to consider. This is hard to consider. But what makes it worse is that not only has his enemy done this to him, but look at verses 21 uh, and following. He did so <laughs> with manipulation. He did so with deception. His speech was smooth like butter. Literally, in, in the Bible, buttery speech. <laughs> Very descriptive language. But war was in his heart. His words were soft like oil, yet they were drawn swords. Not only was David betrayed, but he would think back to all the moments with that person and go, man, right then, they were thinking about this. Right then, as we spoke together. Right then, as we worshiped together. Right then, as we shared a moment of confidence with each other. They were planning to do this to me. They were planning to betray me. They were planning to deceive me. And in that moment, <laughs> oh, how hypocritical. But in that moment, how much I, I let them take me in. David would have the pain and the grief of knowing that in all those moments he shared with that friend before um, their intentions were made clear that he was being manipulated, that he was being deceived, that he was being taken advantage of. Yet, into this, David turns to God. This sort of broken trust is destabilizing. The massive stone column is kicked out and the roof of our life begins to give way, but, verse 22, God will hold you up. He will support and sustain you because verse 22, it says, he will never permit the righteous to be moved. And so because of that, David says, looking at verse 22, in the midst of that hurt, in the midst of that betrayal, he cast his burden upon the Lord to bear, believing that God will sustain him because God cares for him. It's as 1 Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, picking up the language from this psalm says, cast your cares, your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. God is steadfast. God is immovable. God is unchanging. And so David here and then Peter there says, cast your burdens upon him. He can bear them and he'll remain when the rest of your world and the rest of your relationships seem to be crumbling down. Unlike even the closest of friends or most trusted people in our lives, church, who remain fickle or imperfect and are able to betray us or let us down, God, he's the great pillar who will not give way. He will not be moved in his care for and commitment to us. And because he won't be moved, neither will we. That's what verse 22 is saying. As Spurgeon says, like pillars, the godly stand immovable to the glory of the great architect, our God who's put us in place, who allows us not to be moved. God's steadfast love for us, it will help hold us up in the day of relational strife. Um, he'll meet us in, with sustaining grace as we experience slander and gossip, as our friends share our secrets, as coworkers accuse us of things we haven't done, when we're burned by a bad deal with a business partner, when spouses even break marriage vows. 
when you're so hurt that it feels like someone took your heart out of your chest and stomped it on the floor. God will sustain you in those moments. He's steadfast. Cast your burden upon him. He'll sustain us when our names are dragged through the mud and our character is called into question. When people speak against us and we can't begin to try to start defending ourselves. He'll sustain you. He's called you in Christ righteous by faith. And his word over you will win the day. David says, cast your burden upon him. Trust in him. He will not permit you to be moved. He will deliver you. He will sustain you. Church, he'll never leave or forsake those who have been abandoned or betrayed. He's near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. And not only when we're feeling betrayed or hurt, but even when we ourselves are fickle, even when we ourselves are wavering, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Meaning that God has said to us that I will be their God and they will be my people. He's made a pledge, he's made a vow, and he will not break his vow. Even as we struggle with faithlessness, even we ourselves in the midst of our disorientation, and we feel like God might not be good, he might not pull through. God, even when our commitment to him wavers, his commitment to us never wavers. He's steadfast, he's sure and movable, and we can cast our burden upon him, trusting that he can bear it, trusting that he'll meet us with sustaining grace. And so, God is an unfailing friend who will sustain his people in the midst of their strife, um, and one aspect of that sustaining grace toward us and one aspect of our hope um, in him is that he'll sustain us right now. In this moment of our grief, he'll meet us with what we need, moment by moment, as we deal with betrayal, strife, and abandonment. God uh, will meet us. But more than just meeting us in our hearts with the sustaining grace that we need, there's another aspect of our hope, which our third point, it, it points to. It points us to the fact that more than just God meeting us now in the midst of all that's wrong is that one day he's going to set it all right. And this leads us to point number three, that we can trust in the unfailing friendship of God because he has your back. And so in other words here, <laughs> real simply, David's hope isn't just that God will listen to him, though that's important. It's not just that he's going to meet him with sustaining grace in his own heart and soul, though that's also important. But his hope is that God will deal with his betrayers. He will execute and bring justice and punishment and vengeance. What has happened to David, what his enemies have done, basically, they will not get away with. And in the midst of David's pain, in the midst of the abuse and the abandonment and betrayal he suffered, he knows God will let nothing go um, unaccounted for. And this is what the third point is about. Look with me quickly um, at verse 18 and 19, it says that he redeems my soul from safety, from the battle that I wage. David is in a fight and he's in a battle. Many are arrayed against him, but verse 19, God will give ear and humble them. What he's saying here is that God is a friend who fights for you. And you can think of, you know, TV or movies or maybe your own life. You, you maybe have that friend who's got a, a loud uh, and big personality. And if they hear someone saying something about you, they say, what'd they say? Oh, let me talk to him, right? <laughs> let me get at him. That's my friend you're talking about. Anybody have that? You know, the kind of hold my earrings sort of thing. Let me go get him. 
Um, that's not my, been my experience, but you know, what, what you see on TV, right? But that kind of friend who has your back, man, if someone is talking about you, they're going to go address that. They're not going to let someone drag your name through the mud. They're not going to let someone get away with disrespecting you, right? We have friends like that who have our back, who are our defender. And now God, in a way that's always just, <laughs> never petty, and always balanced and wise and good, David says, he has your back like that. He fights for you. He is your defender. He will humble your enemies. And what does that humbling look like? But verse 23, it says that God will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. God will bring justice. He will execute vengeance on David's betrayers, and he'll bring them into the pit of destruction. And as David's betrayal hit him unexpectedly. Verse 23 says, they won't even live out half their days. Their end is going to come before they think it's going to come. They're going to be living high and uh, mighty. They're going to be exalting themselves. They're going to be thinking that they've won the day, and at David's expense, they've conquered over him. They've taken advantage of him, and they've won. And David says, they won't even live out half their days. God will meet them with their end. He will humble them, and he will uh, win the day. David trusts God to deal with his betrayers. And two things I would note with that quickly before we wrap things up is that David trusts who <laughs> to deal with his betrayers. This is important. We don't miss this. David trusts God, <laughs> right? Meaning that David's hope in the midst of his betrayal um, and his broken trust isn't David's own ability to retaliate <laughs> or to seek revenge. That's important. He says, I'm going to let God deal with them. I'm not going to take the matter in my own hands. God is the friend who has my back, and I'll let him deal with the betrayer, with the abandoner, with the abuser, with the one who's hurt me so. In Old Testament language, he says, you know, I remember the verse that says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Or, in New Testament language, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God. David steps out of the way and says, I will let you handle this, Lord. He doesn't take it upon himself to seek revenge, to uh, go fight back. And this could be something that's on a macro level when you have these relationships that, you know, end badly and they go away and people are saying slanderous things about you, or even on the micro level, when you and your spouse are arguing, when you and your friend are at odds with one another, do we trust God to settle things? Do we trust God to bring peace and justice and bring the right outcome to pass? Or do we respond with argument and move against those people who are close to us? Do we let God work it out or do we take matters into our own hands and put our hope in retaliation, in snarky comments, in little things that we think in the moment will be a helpful outlet for our emotion, but instead only dig the pit of destruction and despair worse? Do we trust God in the midst of conflicts big and small to be our defender and place our hope in him? And so we see that David looks to God as the friend who will listen, who will sustain, and who will fight for him, who will punish his enemies, and that in the midst of his difficulty helps him to hang on. It helps him to hang on knowing that justice will come. But hearing that and that alone, you might have the question, <laughs> okay, that's great that justice will come, 
that betrayal will be punished. But what about redemption? Anybody thinking that? It's, it's good to know that God will deal with betrayal and that he'll punish betrayers. But is there a way for betrayal and betrayers to be redeemed? Because let's face it, we've all betrayed, haven't we? We've all, in our relationships, fallen short. We've all broken promises and broken trust. We've been those who have um, lied and deceived. We've manipulated. We could be parents who have neglected or abandoned children, spouses who have broken our marital vows, men and women who have, in deep confidence with someone else, defaulted upon it. We've gossiped. We've slandered. We've shared secrets. We've betrayed. So what's the hope for us? It's good that God will punish betrayers, but that means he'll have to punish us too. So where's the hope in this song for the betrayer? And this is where the gospel comes in, because David's song is about him, but it's not only about him. As we look at David, who is the righteous man who's been betrayed so wrongly, the one who trusts in God to see him through, we think of Jesus. We think of Jesus, who was the perfect friend, who was actually betrayed by his own friends, who was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver by Judas, who was denied by Peter three times, who was abandoned by all the disciples as he was arrested. Jesus himself, the only perfect and unfailing friend, was betrayed. But the good news is that he was betrayed so that we betrayers could become friends of God because the betrayal was used by God to further his plan of redemption. Christ was betrayed by Judas so that he would go to the cross and pay for the sins of all our betrayal, that he would die in the place of the betrayer so that we could enter into life in friendship with God. This is good news. This means that for us, as we're dealing with this kind of disorientation, that Jesus has died for the sins we've committed in our relationship. He has hope for the betrayer. If this is us hearing the psalm and going, I deserve to fall into the pit, his sacrifice upon the cross is your hope and redemption. He has died for the sins of betrayal that you've committed. He has died to take away the guilt that we have for how we've hurt those in our lives as we trust in him and rest in his sacrifice. But not only that, but in his death, in his betrayal, in his abandonment by his friends, for us who are here, his people, who deal with what David's dealt with, Jesus sympathizes with all the betrayed. We don't just have a friend who listens. We have a friend in Jesus, the friend of sinners, who understands what it's like to go through what we go through. Jesus sympathizes with us as we're betrayed, as we're abandoned, as we're hurt. He knows what it's like. We don't have a high priest church who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, yet he knows them all, he's there in them all, and he will sustain us in them all. He is the redeemer and the hope for both the betrayer and the betrayed. And so this morning, trust in him. Trust in the unfailing friend that is Jesus. In the midst of betrayal, in the midst of broken trust, he will not let you down. He will not disappoint. And so let's pray and let's sing a song of response to Jesus, worshiping and glorifying the friend of sinners.